The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good morning, everybody, or afternoon, or whatever it is for you. Um, This is Independent Living Skills, and I am Jewel. Today's topic is In the Kitchen. And Travis is going to give instructions for muting and raising hands before we get started. Go ahead, Travis. All right. All right. Thank you, everybody. Um, welcome. Call to. And I'll, and I'll tell you how to raise your hand and to mute and unmute. If you're on a PC, it is Alt Y to raise your hand and to lower your hand, and it is Alt A to mute and unmute. If you are using a Mac, it is option Y to raise your hand and command shift A to mute and unmute. If you're on a smartphone, an iPhone or an Android device, uh, to raise your hand, it is, in, it is in the bottom right hand corner of the phone. Double tap on more and then swipe over to raise hand and that will raise your hand. Double tap there and your hand will be raised. To mute and unmute, it is the bottom the button in the bottom left hand corner of the phone. Double tapping, it is a toggle switch, so double tapping will either mute or unmute you. And please stay muted until you. it is your turn to speak. And if you are on a touch phone, a touchpad, uh, it is a star 9 to raise your hand and star 6 to mute and unmute. There you go. All right. So today we are going to do part one of the kitchen. Uh, we are going to be talking about gathering your materials and getting ready to cook. So that would include like getting your ingredients ready to go ahead and toss into the pot um, or wherever you're putting it. <laughs> so the first thing you should think about is, do you have all the ingredients? So you want to p- take out all the ingredients ahead of time and set them out so that you know you have everything because there's nothing worse than getting in the middle of a spaghetti recipe and realizing I don't have any spaghetti sauce or I don't have any pasta and you've already made part of it and now what do you do with the things that you already started? One thing that I have learned is really helpful is having some kind of tray to put all your ingredients on as you are getting them ready to cook. A cafeteria tray is a great tool for this, um, but any tray will work. Cafeteria trays are especially great because they are easy to clean and they are large. So if you have a lot of ingredients, they'll probably still fit on the tray and they'll be all in one place. And if you are pouring or you have powder, like garlic powder or whatnot, If you spill, it goes on the tray and not all over the counter and it's easy to clean up. Just throw the tray in the sink afterward and wash it off and you're good to go again. Um, So you can get those trays from um, Amazon, from Walmart, from uh, Bed Bath & Beyond will have them, I think. Um, Your uh, restaurant and cafeteria supply stores will have them. Um, there are some sets that one is a, like a black, one is white. So if you need high contrast, you can pick which one you want to use for that uh, recipe. So if you're using mozzarella cheese, pasta, and spaghetti sauce, you may consider using the 
black um, tray because the mozzarella cheese and these um, pasta will show up better on that tray. Um, but you would also consider what dishes you are using to hold those ingredients and the measuring cups as well. So if you have white cups on a black tray, it'll be easier to tell exactly where that cup is um, rather than a white cup on a white tray. Um, so when you are gathering your ingredients, there are several ways to tell what is in a box or a can or a package of some type. Um, you can scan them. There are several apps out there that can help with that. Seeing AI from Microsoft is a great app for scanning uh, packages. It works better for boxes than cans, but it can do a can as well. Can do a can. Okay. <laughs> um, then there is Be My Eyes. Um, many of you know what Be My Eyes is. You call a volunteer and they will walk you through what you're trying to see. This can be especially useful if for some reason your scanning app will not scan the item. Um, a barcode reader or a QR code reader, if you want to put QR codes onto your packaging, can also be very useful. One device that is really great for this is the pen friend, um, which you can put um, labels onto and it you put an audio uh, connected to that label, and then it scans that label and reads the audio for you. Um, there are apps that will do that also. Um, one of those apps, oh gosh, what is that app? There's several apps out there that will do it. Um, seeing AI will read barcodes on products. Um, it's not always perfect, but it does a pretty good job, especially with the more, um, more common items. So it may not read that package of gnocchi but it's going to read your spaghetti pasta and your, um, your canned milk, for example. Um, there are a number of barcode reading apps out there also, which will read the, um, the product code. But generally, I prefer the CAI app because it will uh, make noise. It'll make a beeping noise to indicate how close to that barcode it is. Um, and the closer you get to the barcode, it, the faster it beeps. When it gets to the barcode, it beeps really fast and then starts scanning. So that's really useful. Um, there's also, um, of course, Braille labels. You could label all your um, pantry items that way. And then, you know, you, you won't have to have any device um, to find the items you need. You just organize your pantry accordingly so that it is easy to find what you want. Like for example, in my pantry, all the pasta and rice is together. All the sauces are together and all the vegetables and fruits are together. Um, so um, the ID mate is also a really awesome tool, but I have heard that they are not making those anymore. So they're a little hard to find. If you can find one for a decent price, grab it. It is an amazing tool. Um, and that one will read both barcodes and custom labels um, that you can put on yourself. Um, there's also the um, Wayround tags, uh, which they are custom labels also. Um, the nice thing about those are they are very durable. 
Um, the only one that you cannot put something on is you cannot put most of the tags on metal. So if you have a metal item, um, like a toaster or a can, you get the one that's made for the metal because the metal will interfere with the scanning technology of the app for your phone. Um, so Wayround is great. Those tags are a dollar a piece, but you can reuse them as many times as you want. So if you have a can of soup and then you want to reuse that label on cereal, you can do that. You just delete everything in your app for that label and you can reuse it as many times as you want. Um, so when you are gathering your ingredients in your recipe, it will tell you you need to measure such and such amount, half a cup of mozzarella cheese or quarter teaspoon of salt. And so the best thing to do with that is labeling your measuring cups, as we spoke um, about. Um, but also if you're doing a liquid ingredient, such as syrup or dressing or mustard, having metal uh, measuring spoons that you can bend at a 90 degree angle to the handle means that you can then dip that spoon into the uh, ingredient and you don't have to worry about pouring it into the spoon, which can make a big mess. Um, you can also do this with powders. So if you have coffee in the morning and you want to scoop the powder into a measuring spoon, it might be easier to do it with a bent spoon. Um, you know, or you, you can use a scoop that has taller sides and is a little smaller. Um, lots of different ways to do that. Um, for your measuring cups and spoons, you may want to brow them. We talked about this before. Um, you may want to label them however works for you, brow or um, bump dots uh, made with like puppy paint or um, you may just want to scratch marks into it, for, like if it's a metal one. Um, if you are pouring lots of ingredients together, for example, if you're making um, a mixed juice, you know, you've got carrot juice, apple juice, orange juice, and you're putting it all together, you may want to go ahead and put a le liquid level indicator into a large measuring cup, one of the glass measuring cups. Measure out the juice, put it all together. Then you only have one cup of juice on the counter instead of several small measuring cups that could easily be knocked over. Um, this is also great for if you know your recipe requires um, X, Y, and Z. You don't have to have one bowl of each item. You can put them all together if they're going to be cooked at the same time. Um, there is a canning lip out there. Um, it's used when you're doing uh, like mason jars. It is basically a large mouth funnel. This is extremely useful when you are pouring liquids um, into like a large measuring glass measuring cup. Um, if the if you can find one that fits over your measuring cup and the the bottom of the lip goes right inside your glass measuring cup, then you have a little splash guard for as you're pouring it in. 
Um, the one I have fits great over um, large mouth jars. So if I have a bunch of ingredients that I know need to be together to cook, I might go ahead and just pour them all into a large jar. And then I'll pour them into the pot when it's time from there. That also has the benefit of you can put a lid on a jar, whereas like a measuring cup, you're not likely to have a lid for that. And that will save you from spilling your ingredients and having to start all over again. So that would be the first part. We're going to talk about tools next, but if we have any questions about gathering ingredients, I'll take them now. Travis? There are no hands at this time. Okay, we'll give them a few minutes to see if there's some because sometimes it takes a little while to raise hands. Yep. Um, yeah. Okay. There are none so far. Okay. So we'll go ahead and move on to the tools and getting ready to chop and dice and, you know, really get into preparing the food items. There is one hand now. Okay. Okay. I'll take it, that hand. All right. Uh, it's a phone number, the 248-254. You may unmute. Please tell me who you are and go ahead. Okay, Hi, right. this is Laura. Laura. Um, okay. I was cooking the other day. I was actually making a meatloaf. And the meatloaf had a sauce that went on the top of it. And I'm finding that um, I wonder if there's a couple There's a couple things I would have liked. Um, I had some really, um, uh, uh, an ingredient, one of them, for instance, was vinegar. And one of them was Worcestershire sauce. And, you know, mm -hmm. those are really liquidy um, ingredients. Yes. And um, what I would have liked to have had, um, the, the vinegar had a, um, once you open the bottle, it has a regular um, opening that it had. I would have liked to have had something I could put in that opening that would make it come out with like um, little amounts, like mm -hmm. like more drops, so I could have measured it easier. Because what actually happened was when I went out to pour it in my spoon, I got mm -hmm. too much. Okay, way too much. And yeah. the Worcestershire sauce, I love Worcestershire sauce, but it was the same kind of thing. And if, if I think sometimes you know, if you can get something to put on the bottle to make it so that it pours slower or you get less and then you can work with it little by little and maybe not overdo it. What, what actually happened was I got too much vinegar in my, in my um, mixture. Why well, I finally poured some of it out in the sink, but um, does anybody know where you can get a, something you can put in the bottle so it comes out like more and, in drops or lesser. So I have a couple um, ideas for that. The first idea would be okay. to use a basting, um, a basting tool. It looks like kind of like a large syringe and you can stick it down in there. Um, it's usually pretty thin, so it would fit into a vinegar container. I don't think it would fit into a bottle for Worcestershire sauce or soy sauce, 
Um, but it would mm-hmm. definitely fit in your vinegar. The second thing I would recommend is don't pour your ingredients over your um, dish. Pour it over the sink or over a tray or a bowl. Um, that way, anything you spill is in the dish. Um, it's not in your food item. It is in the dish that you're pouring over or the sink. Um The third thing that I might suggest is one that I've seen people do. I don't really do, but it's a really good way to do it. If you have vinegar, for example, you could pour it into a bowl and then dip your spoon into it. Then take a funnel and pour the leftover vinegar through the funnel back into the bottle. Um, And you could do that with the Worcestershire sauce as well. Just put it into a bowl, dip your spoon into the bowl, get what you need. And then use a funnel to put it back into the bottle. Oh, thank you. That's those are some really interesting ideas, and I, um, I like the one with the base. I'm going to try that, but the one with the funnel, I love that because I think I do have some little funnels, and I think that would really work, and that would, you know, um, keep me from doing what I ended up doing. Right. And um, that way, it'll make it a lot easier because I hate to waste stuff. You know, right. it gets too much, and then you're, you know, if you don't get it exactly or more mixed as it should, it can run the, you know, you run your, you run your sauce or whatever you're making. Right. And just remember, don't ever pour ingredients, whether they're liquid or powder or, you know, any kind of ingredients. Don't put it over the dish that you want to cook, because if you do get too much, there's nothing you can do about taking it out except you know, either doing what you did, pour it off, and but there's still going to be excess or starting over. And that's just a waste. Right. Thank you. Thank you. We do have another hand. Okay. Uh, Jane, you may go ahead. Uh, one thought that um, I had, and uh, I like this idea, if you have a couple of um, spray bottles... Perhaps by by hand, um, I have several for like oils and vinegars. Um, those are handy. Just pour whatever or spray whatever you need, and uh, yeah, that that's one way. Or the funnel is another way too. For spraying, I suggest getting ones that are intended for food items, not just any spray bottles. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for example, for oil, we have an oil mister. It's a metal container that is intended specifically for oil so that not, there's no flavor changes. Mm-hmm. And then you just spray it. Like, if you're line, lining your skillet with oil, you just spray it um, all over the pot and you don't have to worry about swishing it around to, to coat the bottom of the pot. Yeah, I got several of those, too. So. Yeah, those are wonderful. Okay. Did we have any other hands? Nope, you're clear on hands. Okay, so the next part is going to be more about tools and um, actually getting the food ready to go in the pots. You know, once you measure it out, then you you know you have to get the ingredients that are solid into smaller pieces usually. So the first thing I would mention is make sure your knives are sharp. A dull knife is a lot more dangerous than a sharp knife. Um, so the best way to sharpen your knives that I've found 
is with a rolling knife sharpener. It has a groove that the knife blade goes into, and then you roll it back and forth on the blade instead of having to um, swipe the blade over a whetstone. It has the whetstone in the groove. Um, so it's a lot easier. You don't have to worry about aiming. And, you know, if you miss and you hit your finger, well, shoot. Yeah. So make sure your knives are sharpened. I usually sharpen our knives about every other week. Um, if it looks, if, you know, if it seems like it's not cutting well enough, I'll go ahead and just run the, uh, sharpener over it a couple of times. I usually do five to 10 strokes per knife. Um, so just make sure your knives are really sharp. Um, but once the knife is sharpened, how do you keep your fingers out of the way? There are a couple of ways to do that. The first way would be to use your finger up against the side of the blade so that as you're putting the knife down, you are holding this, you are, have your finger against the side of it, not right at the edge, but a little above it so that your knife is going where your finger's going, but below it. So you got it like a half an inch, um, the knife blade descends about half an inch below your finger. Um, but then you're aiming with your finger much like you would point your finger with a cane to tell, you know, to point your cane in the direction you want. Um, the technique I use the most is called the bridge technique. So you hold your food item with your thumb and your index finger to make a bridge. Then you place the knife between those two fingers and cut there. So you know that that blade is nowhere near those two fingers and all your other fingers are out of the way. Um, another technique is to use a chopping, um, jar. It is a usually glass jar so that you can see inside of it, um, with a, um, blender type blade. It's got a multi-blade that then you would pump it up and down. And as it pumps, it turns and it chops the ingredients in the jar. Um, this is great for people who don't have the coordination or the, confidence to use regular knives um and you know it can be faster too so you know sticking a quarter onion in the jar chop 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 it's already done it may take you half the time that it does with a knife um a tool that i use a lot is called an ulu knife u-l-u it's an inuit style blade so canadian american okay canadian or native american um, they use it mostly for filleting fish. It is a rounded blade with a handle on top of it rather than behind it. So when you are holding it in your fist, you know that the blade is directly below your hand. and You don't have to worry where you're aiming because where your hand is is where the blade is. There is an European version of that called the cradle knife. The difference with that one is it's two blades. And the, there are handles on either side of the, the dual blade. Um, and that is used for all sorts of chopping and dicing very quickly. The Ulu blade comes with a um, bowl board. Um, it is a regular cutting board, but in the middle of it, it has a bowl shape. And it allows you to rock the blade back and forth instead of sawing. Um, the Ulu also has a, uh, diagonal on the actual edge. So even if you touch the edge, 
it's not likely that you would cut yourself. I've touched the edge of my Lulu many times and never cut myself. Um, but I can chop vegetables and other ingredients very quickly with an Ulu knife. It won't go through everything. It's not so good for going through squash or melon or, you know, something large like that, that it's really hard. Um, but it's really great for onions and celery and tomatoes and, you know, smaller, softer items like that. Um, those you can find in many places. Um, the one I got was a Christmas present and I believe she got it through Amazon. Um, but they're usually wooden handled. The traditional ones are horn or, um, like, uh, bone. Um, if you can find one of those, those are more heirloom type. They're more valuable. Um, but you're more likely to find the wooden handle ones for everyday use. Um, they have great meaning to the Inuit people. Um, when they have an Ulu blade with a horn or bone handle, it will be passed down through the generations. Um, they're very durable and very useful. Um, the cradle knife is a, you know, like I said, similar design. Um, it's usually used by uh, prep, prep cooks. Um, to quickly chop uh, vegetables and other ingredients. Um, so those are possibilities. And with those, you know, your hand is out of the way because it's on the handle. The handle's not, you know, the handle's not behind the blade where you can't tell where exactly the blade is. With the Ulu knife, the also, the cutting board has a slot that when you are not using the knife, it can stand in that slot. You don't have to worry about the edge being anywhere near you because it's in the board, uh, which I find very useful and also very useful to find the knife again when I have set it down. So those are all different ways of cutting. Um, one thing I would also add is when you are cutting something round, the best technique that I have learned, um, I had a cook, um, a sighted cook teach me this um, in a class. He said, cut your round item in half. So like an onion or a tomato, cut it in half first, then place the flat edge against the board. Then you don't have to worry about it rocking back and forth as you're trying to slice it. And then you can slice it from there. Um, I've found that amazingly useful for onions, tomatoes, strawberries, potatoes, all sorts of round objects. Um, I don't know how many times it's kept me from slipping. Um, so when you are cutting, always make sure you know where your fingers are at all times. We cannot stress safety enough. We don't want people losing digits. Um, so even if you are using the bridge method, if you are not sure if that knife is close to one of your fingers, go ahead and once the knife's in place, pull the fingers up, use the palm of your hand on top of the knife, push down with your, the palm of your hand, and you know all your fingers are straight out, nowhere near the blade. Um, so that's very important. Do we have any hands at this time about cutting and dicing and preparing ingredients to be then put into the pot? Yes, we have one hand right now so far. Uh, Monique, go ahead. Hey, Monique. Hello. Um, they even have the cutting boards with the prawns on it. Can you explain that? 
yeah, it's it's a cutting board and it has prawns on it. You just poke the vegetable or the fruit that you oh. want to cut. Yeah, on, and you can cut it that way. Like little pins that you would like, right. stab the vegetable or fruit with. That's yeah. pretty cool. That's a great idea. Yeah, and you just put it. You put it on the cutting board, you, the fruit <laughs> or the vegetable, and it has the prawns already on it. Well, that's cool. Yeah, thank you. Where would yeah. you find that? I don't know. I I was looking for myself because my old school had one, <laughs> and I was like, I like this. Yeah, that's a cool idea. I, I mean, if you guys if have a lighthouse that has a store, I'm sure you could probably find it there. Probably Maxi Aids, Independent Living Aids. Anything that's that, yeah, yeah, any place that has cooking stuff for blind people and visually impaired. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Yep. I'll also mention um, cheese slicers and mandarins are amazing. So these are um, they they have a board. You put the item on. You you pull up the handle, which has a blade, um, usually like a really fine wire. You put the item under that blade and then you slice down and you're, you, you just keep your hands out of the way and you just slice down very quickly. We have a cheese slicer like that, that we've got from a local Amish community. Um, but those can be gus in a lot of places. Usually they're called mandarins. Um, and those can be found for all sorts of meats and cheeses and such like that. Um, very useful. All right, we have two hands right now. So, uh, okay. Carrie, go ahead. Okay, Carrie, you are unmuted, but we are not hearing you. Okay, sorry about that. There you are. Yes, so, yes, the other day, yesterday, I was introduced to the bridge method by my VR coach, and I really like that method. But he also introduced to me when I'm using that bridge method. He gave me a finger guard and it's shaped like a horseshoe and you put your index finger in one end and you put your thumb in the other and it's completely like rubber and it's shaped like a horseshoe. So mm -hmm. there's really no way of cutting your thumb or your index finger while you're doing that bridge method. You know where he got that? I've never seen those. He gave, he, he, he had it in his, uh, what he calls his uh, toolbox. He pulled it out and he gave it to me and he said, here you go. And hmm. I had never seen or heard this thing before. And I thought it was pretty interesting. That is pretty cool. I have to look into that. Because um, people who use the bridge method, that is a great tool. Um, there are also um, leather sewing sheets. They are like, looks kind of like glove, but it's only for the thumb and index finger. That might work for, uh, you know, people who are, less likely to get the blade too close um because obviously if you cut the leather you know the, that cuts the leather but it's not going to get through to your finger right uh, so that's a possibility as well those are easily found at craft stores i okay. would not know where to find the silicone the rubber one because that's a really cool idea yeah and the thing i liked about it too is is dishwasher space i mean i can throw it in the dishwasher uh, after cutting an onion that's that's useful thank you that's amazing thank you all right, Nora, you are next. All right. Hi, Nora. Um, hi. Um, yeah. Hi. A few, uh, about a month ago or two, uh, my sister gave me this special thing of the handle, the 
Um, I'll hold it like I'm holding a knife, except I hold it shortly away, and then I just chop down into like a rounded knife type of thing. Mm-hmm. And then the handle will go over it, and it'll just chop like soft or certain meat that I want to cut into smaller pieces. Mm-hmm. And uh, I forgot what it's called, but it's, it's not too sharp, but it's very nice. And it's nice and it's rounded. So I think I forgot what that's called, but I think it's a cheese rice or something like that. Hmm. Is it, does it have the handle on the top of the blade? Yeah, handle, yeah, your handle right on Sounds top. Sounds a lot like the and it's, like you're hold, it's like you're holding it around. Right. You're yeah. holding the handle mm-hmm. above the blade, and then you don't have to worry yeah. about where the blade is directly beneath your hand. Yeah. Um, it sounds very much like the Ulu knife right. that I have. And you rock it back and forth. It's rounded. Mm-hmm. That sounds... Yeah. It's the same. I think it's about the same. Yeah. It may you not be exactly an Ulu knife, but it's similar design. Awesome. Those things are useful. Right. And then, right. Yeah, they are, and you can just chop it even just from the bottom part of it, and mm-hmm. it's with the meat, and that sounds wonderful. Right, and if you slip, yeah, your hands somewhere near it because it's above the blade, so you don't have to worry about slippage at all. That's right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for noting yeah. that. Um, one <laughs> other thing about the um, Ulu board that I really like, because it has a bowl, your ingredients are less likely to go flying. The bowl, the bowl shape of it keeps the ingredients generally in the bo- in the board. Um, so if you have like garlic that you're mincing with an ulu blade, which I do all the time, I um, cut it up and then I use the flat side of the ulu to then you know mince it down. Um, I don't have to worry about my garlic going everywhere because it's in the bowl. All we right, have- we have three hands up right now. Awesome. All right, Marsha, you are next. Hi, Jewel. I've got three things. Number one about the the vinegar. Um, you know, I have, Jason got uh, oil and vinegar uh, things that have a spout on the top. And it, you can actually close it or open it. But it comes out through a little a little spout, so it's not coming out so fast. So I have oil in one and vinegar in the other, which it's, oh. normal, it's normal, like oil and vinegar for, you know, putting on your salads and stuff. Right. That's a great idea. Those are probably found in like restaurant supply stores and such. Um, yeah. Maybe in like the um, professional chef stores as well. Well, I think he got it. All. He gets everything off of Amazon. Uh. The second <laughs> thing is he got me. A glove. It has a a, a a cloth glove, and then over it is this glove that a knife won't go through. And uh, no it, cut. Yep. So you can, you know, it has saved my my fingers a lot. You know, because right. uh, yeah, it's a protects it. The third thing is he ordered um, measuring cups and measuring spoons which is really nice. They're nice and white and have a poor spot and they have Braille on it, but I have no idea what the Braille means. Mm. And I thought maybe because I'm just a new Braille user. So on one of the cups, I can't 
tell what it is. You know, they put one fourth and one half, but they made it the same color white, which mm. isn't any help. But then the Braille, it looks like a dot five, and then it looks like dot three, four, you know. And then after that, it has dot, um, dot, it would be dot two, five. And I don't know, since I'm just new into Braille, I didn't know what that could be. Do you have any clue? That could be um, dot one, then dot two, five, then dot uh, one, four, which would be one third, I think. Okay, say that. So the dot five. Yeah, so that dot five could actually be a dot one, which would, you know, be, you know, uh, would then be a or one. Okay. The, uh, what it looks like three. Would you say the second one was two three? It looked like two. It looked like three four. Three four. Oh, so yeah, slash. That'd be a slash. Yeah, that's a slash. Um, and then the third one looks like. Oh, it so those are lowered numbers. So you got you got lower numbers on those, which are used in like Nimeth. So oh. that would be, that dot two is a lowered um, dot one which would then be your one. So when you look at those cups, your numbers are going to be lower. Um, they're going to be the lot lower quadrant of the Braille cell. That is a little confusing. If you don't know Nimeth at all, that can be co very confusing. So you, that right there, you've got it one slash three. Uh, oh, one. Oh, he said the what looks to me like three, four is really flash. Yeah, that's a slash. The three dots, oh, three, flash. four is a slash. Yeah. In oh. Nimeth, the slash for numbers is a is the three, four. Oh, thank you. And, mm -hmm. the, and then the, the what looks to me like uh, two, five is really what? Two, five would be a lowered C, which is also the number three. So your numbers are going to be in the lower quadrant, but they're the same symbols as you would have in the upper quadrant. It just okay. the drop symbols mean that they're numbers. Okay, and then on the on the spoon it has well the, what you say is the one and then the slash, and then it looks like a two three. But what is that going to be now? It's a tea, it's a spoon. Two three is a dropped um, B, which is also a two. Um, so that would be your one half, most likely a one half teaspoon. Is it a real small one? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so it's a half teaspoon. Thank you. That was just, welcome. I, yeah, I, I may have to go over that again with you, but anyway, I, I got to. Yeah. And um, you come to the braille calls, the braille room calls. Bring it up there. Okay. We can talk about the dropped dropped letters as as numbers there also. Like on Thursday with Professor Shaw. Um. Yeah. Or um, the ones on Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday. Right. Well, yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, Jewel. You're welcome. All right. We have four hands right now. Uh, Laura, okay. you are next. Star six will unmute you, Laura. Hi. I have a comment to the lady that had the horseshoe thing 
And I, I was looking in my drawer while she was talking, and I have something just like that. So let me tell you a little bit of what it is, what it's meant for, and this might be the same thing she's got. Um, kind of looks like a horseshoe. You could put one on your thumb and one on your index finger, or you could put it on another finger in your hand. Um, it is on both sides of the thumb and finger. It does have bumps, okay? Definite bumps that stick out. Okay. It's meant to, uh, well, what I use it for, I had a friend give me this as, as one of my gifts last Christmas. And I call, I'm not sure what exactly it's called um, in the store. I call it the grabber, okay? What it's used for is I use it to um, put things, uh, get things out of the microwave or put them in or get things and put them, uh, take them in and out of the oven. Mm -hmm. I think it's silicon. It's meant for, um, you know, stuff that's, you know, you're using with heat, um, but it's really good. And where you get it, you get it at Bed Bath & Beyond. Awesome. Thank you. That sounds cool. And it can be used for both cutting and heat. Since it's silicon. Oh, I think you could. I didn't yeah. even think about the cutting, but it definitely, I definitely use it for those other projects and I found it really helpful. Yeah, that would be great for grabbing objects out of the microwave or the oven. Um, also great mm -hmm. for grabbing um, pot handles. Especially because, you know, a lot of times you put your stuff in the microwave and because the tray spins, you don't know which, which way it's in there when you go to grab it. Right. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, Joan, you are next. Hi, I have two things. One for the garlic. You can buy a jar of minced garlic, so you don't have to worry about it. Minced um, garlic from the store has other stuff in it. I like my fresh oh, and okay. raw. Yeah. Okay. Minced okay. garlic's fine, but I like mine fresh from the jar. Okay. And the other thing the is, um, when you were talking about the board with the prongs on it, I have I have one that I got many years ago as a carving, you know, to carve meat on a regular carving board, and it had the prongs on it to hold the meat in place. Yeah. Um, I never thought about using it for cutting onions and other things, but that's certainly a good idea. Mine fits right into a platter, you know, so that you can cut the meat and then serve it on a platter. But I can take out the cutting board which is a great idea. Thank you. Um, question. Is that a wooden board? It's a wooden carving board that fits into a um, metal. Uh, well, it's not metal. I don't know what kind of metal it is. Um, it might be pewter, um, you know, platter so that you can serve meat on. I would highly suggest that you get a second one if you want to use it for vegetables since you've been using it for meat. You don't I haven't the, used it for meat in many, many, many years. Uh, no, well, I haven't used I, it. The reason I mentioned that is because meat juice can get into the grains of wood. Correct. And that's very hard to clean out, which is fine. It's fine for the meat because you know the, the bacteria in meat is fine for meat. But getting meat, bacteria, and vegetables is going to ruin the vegetables. So if somebody wants to use one of those meat prong boards for vegetables, they might want to get a second one for the vegetables if they're using it for meat. Just for safety in the kitchen. That's a good idea, though. Thank you. All right. Herb, 
Yeah, we got oh. two more hands right now. Herbie, you are next. All right. So a couple things. Uh, first of all, um, I'm just curious. How come you use a knife to mince your garlic rather than an actual garlic press? If you don't mind me okay. asking. So what I do is I chop the garlic into small pieces. Mm-hmm. And then I take the side of the blade and I kind of rock it against the garlic presses it down with the side of the blade. I'm not a big fan of garlic presses. They seem messy to me. Um, maybe I'm just not using it right, but I prefer to just do it with a knife. Okay, because with a um, garlic... So- oh, go ahead. Go ahead. And so, like, what I do with a garlic press is, you know, you just peel the garlic, um, mm-hmm. and then you put it in. You squeeze it either. You can pour it in a bowl and then pour it into whatever, or just pour it directly into the... You know, press directly into the thing. You... Take out any leftover peelings and you put in the next clove and uh, you're good to go. So Um, I peel my garlic by hand. Yep, so do I. Um, I can tell tell that the the garlic has no peel because it's a smoother, slightly, um, almost slimy feel to it. Yep. As as, uh, compared to the papery feel of the garlic. It's not as slimy as raw meat, guys, so we don't want to grow some Yeah, no. It's, It's just smoother. Like, it feels... Like yep. it has a little bit of juice on it. And yep. then I took the, bla- the blade and I cut it into like each clove might cut in each little piece of a clove might cut into like three pieces. Okay. And then I take this flat of my, of my Ulu knife at an angle and I press down um, using the top handle that I press it down and it crushes it just like a garlic. Okay. Well, you might yeah. want to try a garlic press again. I think that you might find it a little have. bit easier. But uh, no, like, like you, though, I don't like the stuff in the jar that much. I mean, it's yeah. convenient, and I'll use it if I'm in a hurry, but I'd rather use the fresh stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm yep. the type that will take a mortar and pestle to fresh herbs because I like the fresh herbs better. Yep. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about was the measuring cups. So a couple <laughs> things to help out with that. Um, first of all... Um, you know, if you stack them in order, you're going to already know which one is which if you just have the four set. If you have the bigger set from Blind My Smart, that's a whole other matter. But because um, that has a lot more than just your four cups. But if you have your standard four cup measuring cup, um, place them in order. Some brands come with like a little ring, so that makes it easier. And you're going to know that your fourth cup is on top, your third cup is next, your half cup, and then your whole cup. And so the ones I've seen with Braille on them, the Braille is on the handle and you want it facing towards you. So I, this may, I mean, I'm coming at it from a Braille reader's perspective, so I don't know how much this will help or not. But if you see like the big measuring cup, the one cup, it's just going to have a one. Mm -hmm. And then your one half, you know, it's going to read as, you know, you can look at it as one st you know slash which is st two or a stb which is you know braille for one and two so um you know that one st is going to be there on every cup it's the number afterwards that you need to read so then your third cup is going to be three or c however it helps you remember it and four is going to be d so if you know your first four letters of the alphabet and you just identify the eighth ST sign, you'll be able to know how to read your measuring cups in Braille. So I hope that's a good explanation on how you can do that. So 
Stacking your measuring cups is great for people who do that. Um, not everybody keeps their measuring cups stacked up all the time. Like I might take out the eighth cup, which I have an eighth cup, the one and a half cup, which I have, and the three cup, which I have. So I, my, my set has eighth cup, a fourth cup, a third cup, a half cup, one cup, one and a half cups, two cups, and three cups, which is like, I've never seen a set with that many cups, but that's what we have. Um, so I use puffy paint on the bottom of the uh, handle because the print's on the top. So I put the, the puff paint on the bottom and marked it the way that I could understand it. Right. Um, I'm the only one reading it. So it's kind of like a shorthand for me. Um, so I only put the last number because everyone's going to have yeah the, the one. one slash. So mine have a two, a three, a four, an eight. Um, the only ones that will be different is like my one, two, three, and my one and a half. My one, two, and three um, all have a um, – the one has one dot by itself. The two has two dots instead of the braille for two because the two is the half cup. And then the three cup has three dots in a row. Um, And then my one and a half cup actually says 1.5 on it. Um, It is five minutes before the hour, by the way. Okay. Thank you. So, so yeah, it works different ways for different people, but the more cups you have, like you said, if you have a large set, it gets kind of complicated at that point. Um, But if you have four cups in a row, it's a lot easier to tell which one's which especially when you stack it. That's a great tip. All right. Do we have we any have, more hands? We do have one more hand. Yep. And you want to take it before you go to your third point? My third point is a very brief one. So, yes, let's go ahead and take that one. Okay. And I have one last point. All right, Marcia, you are up. Um, Jewel, in passing, it went by so fast, I didn't even get a chance to grab it. You said something about when you are measuring liquid that you can put a leveler in there. What is, what was that all about? Yeah, a liquid level indicator is a um, small device with prongs on it. You put the prongs on the inside of the cup and the um, actual device hangs over the edge. Um, mine has actually three prongs, two prongs for when it's about an inch from the top and one prong for when it's about a half an inch and it, it will buzz or beep when you when it when the liquid hits those prongs. So mine, for example, when it hits the first two prongs, it buzzes and beeps slowly. If it hits the third prong, it says, wait, wait, you went too fast. You're going way too close to the edge. It beeps and buzzes very quickly. It, it vibrates and it beeps. Um, most of the ones I've seen out there have just the two prongs. I find the third prong very useful. Because I don't always stop in time. Um, those, it's called a liquid what? Liquid level indicator. Um, you can get those at LSNS, um, the Independent Living Marketplace. Um, the uh, Maxi Age should have them. Yeah, those are very useful, especially like if you're pouring a drink for somebody else, you don't want to stick your finger in their drink. So that liquid level indicator is a great way to do it where you don't have to put your finger in somebody else's food okay. or drink. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So the last point I wanted to make is one that kind of bridges into next week. Once you have your ingredients ready to go, how do you get them into the skillet to then start cooking them? 
if you are putting your skillet on the stove to get it warm before you start, like if you need to heat up oil before you put your onions in the oil, you're not going to want to touch your skillet to figure out where the edge is. So you can take either your cooking utensil and find the edge and feel around, you know, where exactly all the edges are, or you can use also a push pull, which you would use in the oven. A push pull is basically stick on the bottom of it has a hook and on the front of it has a groove. The hook is to pull the oven rack out. The groove is to push the oven rack in. You can also use it for looking at um, pots and pans to see where the edges are. So you want to try to hit the outside of the um, pot and then put the stick right at the edge. And then just if your stick is on the edge, the groove is on the edge of the pot, then you know from there to go left of that or right of that, depending on which side of the pot you put the stick. And just put it right about half an inch to an inch away from that stick. And you know it's going to be in the pot. So if you're pouring onions into a skillet and you put the stick on the left edge of your skillet, move the cup slightly to the right of the stick and it'll go straight into your pot or skillet. That way you don't have to touch the edges and burn yourself to find where is the pot. Um, when you are locating a hot pot, you can do the same thing. Instead of reaching out with a oven mitt, which may not make it easy for you to tell exactly where on the pot you are, you can just reach out with your spoon or other cooking utensil, find it, and then you can easily just slip it in there, stir it, take it back out. And that, that will bridge into next week when we will actually be talking about the cooking process and how to tell when something's cooked and, you know, how how to add ingredients to that and, and um, actually work through cooking a, a recipe. So do we have any last minute questions? If not, we'll go ahead and close out. Right now we are clear. Okay. So yeah, next week we'll talk more about the kitchen and we'll actually start talking about the cooking process. And I hope to see you all there. I wish y'all a great weekend, a great week. Thank you all for being here.